family, good morning, and want to welcome those uh, that are joining us uh, live this morning, which will uh, be our last uh, live uh, service. Uh, we'll be back in the sanctuary uh, next Sunday, and we'll be broadcasting our services later in the day, but we won't be broadcasting live uh, via Facebook Live anymore. If you received the phone call last night or you saw on Facebook, uh, we have moved our protocols in line with uh, what the CDC has recommended. We needed a week uh, in order to uh, get the sanctuary ready uh, for our Sunday morning services. But let me just share uh, the new schedule with you uh, this morning for how we'll be meeting this Wednesday. Uh, we'll continue to meet at 6.30. Uh, our children will be meeting downstairs in the education space. Uh, youth will continue to meet here in the uh, youth room upstairs and the adults will meet in the sanctuary. Now, given the guidance, the CDC guidance was fully vaccinated Americans uh, can resume and go about their business. They encourage those who haven't been uh, to continue to wear masks. We're not going to be checking shot records um, at the door, but I'll say this. It's imperative more than ever. If you don't feel well, uh, if you feel, you know, it's just, I just have a little head cold or it's just pollen, stay at home until you know that you are well okay so if you are sick feel bad in any form way or fashion you stay home uh and, to, and and listen and don't call me to be the deciding factor i'm not a doctor you know your body and if you don't feel well stay home uh until you do feel well next sunday morning uh we will be meeting at 10:30 in the sanctuary uh there will be no separation in the seats but as i shared earlier uh listen it, there's still those in our church family, even vaccinated, who are more susceptible, and they love you, and they're glad that you want to hug them and jump up in their lap like a dog, uh, but they don't want to hug you right now. And so don't put them in that position. Just continue to wave at everybody and say, good to see you. You can get closer. Uh, but those of you that are huggers, hug a pillow when you get home, okay? But just say hello to everybody and good to see you. Uh, this morning uh, here at church. And so we'll, we'll follow uh, that, that guidance. Uh, 6 p.m. next Sunday night, we'll begin discipleship again in the church sanctuary. Uh, but also, volunteers will be beginning children's discipleship. And so we'll need more of you to step forward and say, I'll serve in children's Sunday night discipleship just like we were doing before the coronavirus hit. Uh, we're going to begin to need to staff a nursery on Sunday morning. So for those of you that had volunteered for that, you need to let us know that you'll be willing to do that again so that we can have that ministry uh, going uh, as well. Uh, so the children's ministry, Sunday morning, a.m., p.m. discipleship. Uh, we'll have Wednesday night Bible study for the children. Volunteers and children will be masked in those ministries because we want parents to know uh, for those children who are not able to be vaccinated that the workers and the kids will be masked during those for the time being. Youth ministry will continue to be masked through July 1st. That will give uh, all uh, 12 and up the opportunity that feel led uh, those families to be fully vaccinated. And then on the 7th of July, I should say, uh, then we'll move the youth ministry in line with those same uh, protocols. So that's what we're going to go with uh, for now. Uh, we pray that it is behind us. 
Uh, but again, if there should be an outbreak or things get worse, back here we'll be uh, smiling at uh, one another behind masks. And we hope that that doesn't happen. We can continue uh, to move forward uh, as far as in the, the, the community, the cases, positivity rate will stay down. But let me say this. Just because someone gets sick at church, we're not going to cancel church for two weeks. Okay? We're going to continue to move forward. And I say there's the possibility that we may end up having to come back here if it affects the entire community, then the church in like kind uh, will respond with that. So we pray that doesn't happen. So we're moving forward in ministry, but with that means we're going to need many of you to step back up and start using your spiritual gifts uh, as we move together. So wear a mask as you want to. My family's not fully vaccinated yet. My kids aren't. So I'm going to wear a mask in, and I'm going to wear a mask out. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take it off. So you, you do as you feel led to do. All right, all of that said, all that out of the way, let's get on with worship this morning. So let's pray together at this time, shall we please? Father, thank you again for this day and for all of your goodness. God, I pray that it is our heart just was uh, played this morning. God, we'll desire to have a closer fellowship with you. And God, I pray that we won't have an attitude of uh, God, get the cobwebs out of my life. Father, I pray we'll come to a place this morning, God, we ask you to kill the spider. Remove those things from our life that are keeping us from having a closer walk with you. Father, I pray that if there's one who's never been saved, they'll see that it's the spiritual state of their life. They're dead. That's what keeps them from knowing you today and having a walk with you. I pray, God, they'll turn from sin, and today they'll respond to the good news of the gospel that life can be found in Christ and they'll turn and trust him today. Father, remind us again today who we were before we met Christ, what Jesus has done for us and the mission that he has left us to be a part of in these days. Father, be with those that are leading in music uh, this morning in our music worship. God, I pray that you'll speak through them. God, I pray you'll not just be words that we hear but, Father, we'll really reflect on the truth that's being shared and we'll worship you afresh and anew today. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would move about this place. Father, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing to be experienced here today. We might as well go home. So, God, I pray your Spirit would enlighten and empower, call us and draw us today to what you would have us to do and to respond to. And we pray you'll be glorified through all these things. It's in Jesus' precious in his holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. First God. Let's all stand. There is a fountain filled with blood. Oh! 
clap your hands on this.
Lord. And I hope you can say that this morning, that you're a child of the King. I'll ask our children, ages 3 through kindergarten, that are going to a children's worship uh, this morning. If we have any here, uh, you can stand and head out with Angel and Miss Debbie. And church family, you'll find the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter number 2. Ephesians 2, as we continue our study uh, that we began a few Sunday mornings ago. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read in verse number 11. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, a good reminder, a good reminder. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll begin to read this morning, verse number 11. I invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, begin to read in verse number 11. The Bible says these words, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also were being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your Spirit would speak to us, God, and challenge us today. Father, I pray that you will convict those here, those who are listening, who've never been saved, that are lost today. God, overwhelm them with the spiritual reality that is theirs. That they died today, they'd spend eternity in a place called hell because they've never been saved. And God, I pray that today they'll choose to turn and trust Christ to be Lord of their life today, to repent of all their sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray that you'll remind us today, those who have been saved, because we're so prone to forget. We're so prone uh, to become ungrateful and just calloused to really how lost we were before we met you what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. And God, remind us of the mission that we're to be about these days, which Christ came and modeled and gave us. And God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation today, those things that you're calling us to do will be obedient to, that your best and your plan, your abundant life may come about in us to be a reality today. Bless this time, leading God. We'll give you praise for all you're going to do. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you 
to be seated again. Well, I believe it was on Palm Sunday uh, that we preached through uh, the first ten verses of Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And remember that the book of Ephesians was written to a church that Paul had founded. Uh, you can see that history in Acts chapter 19. It was born out of missions. He ministered there for several years. A church was planted there. When we come to the pastoral epistles, we see that's the church that Timothy was pastoring as Paul was trying to encourage him. And so he's going to build on some truths that he's already shared uh, in our text today in those first ten verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 reminds us that we were born spiritually dead. Now don't you listen to this morning. If you've never been saved and you're here, you're listening this morning, you know, and you hear about I'm a child of the king. Or have you been washed in the blood? And that's just, you're just kind, of, it's just kind of words to you. You're just like, I don't understand what's everybody so excited about. Well, it's because you've never experienced that. It's just because you're spiritually dead. And a dead person, they can't do anything. Now listen, that's the, way, that's the way we're all born. And the reason that you feel that way is because that's the way you still are. Paul says, you who are spiritually dead. So no religious pedigree can bring about spiritual life. Only the life transforming power of the Holy Spirit when one repents and trusts Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminded him, you were spiritually dead. Verse 3, he says you had a sin nature. The things that you did, you did because it came natural to you. Uh, dogs bark, squirrels eat nuts, birds fly because that's part of their nature. Hogs love mud. It's part of their nature. You can try to change behavior, but nature is nature. And he says you, you, you acted the way you did because that was your nature. But verses 8 through 9, the salvation you have, it came about through grace. It was God's unmerited favor. You exercised faith. Measure faith that God, as he shared the Scriptures, the Scriptures were shared with you, and the Holy Spirit of God illuminated that truth. You chose to turn in by faith, trust Christ to be Lord of your life. There was no work of the flesh. Uh, verses 6 and verses 10, you, as Christ was raised... You were raised to new life. And you were raised, verse 10, for good works. Not just to sit and soak. The church doesn't exist to serve you as you come with a bib every Sunday on. No, you're to burn the bib and put on the apron. Discover your spiritual gift to find your place in the body of the church because Christ saved you that you might live a life where his workmanship created in good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now remember that Ephesus was a very morally corrupt uh, city. Uh, the temple of Artemis was there. Cult prostitution was the norm there. And so it was a very wicked, morally bankrupt city in which these Christians were, were living. Well, compounded with that, Judaism and Gnosticism were two false doctrines that were attacking the church. Paul wrote the book of Galatians and he wrote the book of Colossians uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to combat both of those false doctrines with truth. And so Paul, in these verses that we have this morning, he seizes the opportunity to remind the church at Ephesus, and remember, and us. There's the original message to the original audience, the time-transcending truth, and then the application that fits for us today. There's always those three truths in every text. And so Paul's not only reminding them, but he's reminding us who we were, who we are, and what we're to be doing with our new life in Christ. Number one, he reminds them of the past predicament. The past predicament. Look at verse number 11. He says, therefore, remember 
that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh of hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Therefore, when you see the word therefore, he says, I'm building on all these truths that preceded this statement. Therefore, because I've shared everything that I've shared in verses 1 through 10, you were spiritually dead, you were saved by grace through faith, not of any work of the flesh whatsoever. He has saved you to serve. He says, therefore, on all that, he says, remember as Gentiles, and that's who they were in Ephesus. They had not been born into the nation of Israel. Therefore, remember as Gentiles, you were born without Christ. And everyone is. We're born spiritually. It doesn't matter what your religious pedigree is, what your religious family tree shows, how great the service in the life of your family has been. And he's going to contrast. He's going to seize this opportunity to once again combat the false doctrine of Judaism. Uh, he says it doesn't matter what your spiritual pedigree, pedigree was. He says you're, you're lost. You're born without Christ. Verse 12, you're, you're not part of the national covenant of promises that God made with Abraham and thus all the Jews. And so he builds on that. Remember, I'm going to spend much time here, but circumcision was that outward sign that God gave the nation of Israel that set them apart uh, as being different from Gentiles. It was symbolic. And so he says, you, you weren't born uh, a Jew. Now remember, Judaism was one of those false doctrines that was uh, attacking the church at this time. Well, w what is Judaism? Judaism was the belief that Christ died on the cross. One must repent of their sin, trust Jesus to be Lord of their life, but also, plus, Gentiles, men, you must go down and see the doctor and you must become a Jew. The only way that you can be saved is to become a Jew, to associate yourself with the nation of Israel, follow the law, follow the customs, follow the diet, and then and only then you can be saved. And friend, I want to remind you, the simplest formula for defining a cult is this, all right? Jesus plus anything equals a cult. Anyone that tells you, you know, believe in Jesus, trust in Christ, be saved, but also you have to do this. I remember several years ago, uh, everybody was growing their beards out and blowing their duck calls and saying, man, this is, it's great to be Great to be a Christian, but if you began to look at the doctrine that a lot of those people were teaching, it was trust Christ, but also you must be baptized, and then you become a Christian. No, friend, salvation comes by grace through faith, not grace through faith plus baptism, then you're saved. True salvation is always repentance and faith in Christ alone. And the addition of anything to that defines that as a cult, Paul says, if you hear any of it, says, I don't care if me or an angel, anybody preaches any other gospel than that which you've heard, he says, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's a false gospel. And that's what Judaism was. And so as these Gentiles were there trying to serve Christ now in this new life that they had, Judaizers were making their way into the scene, into the communities all over where the early church was being formed. It says, well, we're, it's great that you believe in Christ. And it's great you've been baptized, and hopefully you'll end up getting saved. And they're like, what do you mean? We've already been saved. Paul came here and told us to repent and trust Christ, and we'd be saved, and our lives have been changed. Oh, no, you've got to become a Jew, you see, because you're different than us. And then you'll really 
You'll really be saved. And so as, as, as lost men and women, Paul reminds them, you had no hope and you were separated from God, but that's all people, Jew and Gentile. And so the following is a warning against Judaism. So Paul wrote the book of Galatians to address this heresy. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse number 16. Paul said, speaking to those who said the things that I've just shared with you, that you have to, you know, become a Jew. He says, knowing that a man, Galatians 2 verse 16, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh is to be justified. Paul says, there's no work of the flesh that you can ever do that will ever make you right in Christ. Romans chapter 1 and in verse number 16, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first, and for also the Greek. And so Paul says, being a Jew was a blessing because, one, God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. He had specific promises that he had fulfilled and was going to fulfill in future days and will still fulfill in future days. It made the word of God more accessible because God had already revealed himself to the nation of Israel. He had revealed himself through the law. And through all the prophets, the word that he spoke. But it just made the, the word of God more accessible to them. But it didn't differentiate them in the need that all men had in order to be saved. The gospel just came to them first. Peter spoke of this very plainly in Acts chapter 3. After uh, he had gone that day, he was on his way uh, to pray. And you'll remember there was the man who was laying there at the gate, and he wanted silver and gold. And Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I've got, I'll give you. I'll share Jesus Christ with you. And he stood up and began to run and to leap. And then Peter seized the opportunity to begin to be able to speak and to preach about what had happened. And to all those Jews, listen, stay with me. All those Jews who were watching, observing what had happened, Peter said this. To those Jews, he said, you're the sons of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Peter reminds him, he says, look, the gospel came to you first as Jews. You, you had that first opportunity. That was one of the blessings of being a Jew. But Paul says to those Gentiles, Everybody is born lost. Everybody is born separated from God. Verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2. Everyone is born without Christ. John chapter 1 verse 11. Jesus says these words about the, the nation of Israel. He says, Jesus came into his own. That's Israel. But Israel didn't receive him. His own received him not. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He said being a Jew and becoming a Jew didn't draw one into a spiritual relationship with God. It just made them have a national and a covenant relationship with him because of the covenant that God had established with Abraham. 
Now listen to me. The Judaizers were on the outside of the church saying, you Ephesians aren't really saved because you haven't become a Jew yet. And Paul's trying to remind them, you were separated from God. You were lost, but all people, Jew and Gentile alike, are born separated from God. He's trying to remind them of their past predicament. The nation of Israel needed a Savior just as much as an Ephesian Gentile. That's why Christ came and they had that first opportunity. And God had made a difference nationally and physically. Verse 11, between Jew and Gentile. And that separation was to be used to be a blessing. They had the opportunity as Jews, go to Matthew chapter 1 and, and reread at some point that genealogy. The nation of Israel had the blessing of being the nation, the conduit, where in the fullness of time, God would send forth Jesus Christ to redeem a lost and dying world for their sin. What a blessing. What a privilege that they had. But they, they, they still needed a Savior. They still needed to receive Jesus Christ. And so there was a separation between Jew and Gentile, and the Judaizers exploited that. Look at verse number 13 of our text in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They were not only separated from God, but they were separated from the nation of Israel. There was a national difference between the two. Verse 14, Paul doesn't deny that. He said, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, not only between God and the sinner, but between Israel and the Gentiles. There was, there was a separation between the two that existed. Verse 15, th there was enmity between Jews and Gentiles, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances. There was enmity between God and man, but there was also enmity between Jew and Gentile. Verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. Because of that, Gentiles were strangers and foreigners from those covenant promises that were given to Israel. And so the Gentiles were not born into the covenant blessing that the Jews had. What were those blessings? Listen, look at me. God and his word. Remember when we went through our study in the book of Amos, what Amos reminded. Remember in the first two chapters of Amos, Amos began to preach judgment on all of those pagan nations who had afflicted the nation of Israel. And he began to speak, you know, about Judah. He'd come from the south, that God was going to at some point. And it's, you know, it's like you, you began to preach in some services sometimes. And everybody's real quiet. Uh, but you start preaching about people not taking their hat off for the national anthem, and you'll get an amen. Yeah, boy. Amen, preacher. You know, and man oughtn't to kneel for the national anthem. Amen! Woo! Yes, sir. And, you know, say something about homosexuals, and boy, everybody gets the... Woo! And you say something that really stirs people's politics, and boy, they really get excited. And that's what the northern kingdom was doing. As Amos began to preach against the south, you could, you could just hear everybody shouting. But then God began to plow their garden. And it got quiet. It's like when you talk about holiness in the church. Lordship. Discovering spiritual gift in serving. Living on mission. What well, gets quiet? Spiritual influence that we have on other people. It's tight. Talk about a grandson or granddaughter that's shacked up with somebody out of wedlock that is just as sinful as two homosexuals. Boy, well, it gets quiet. Because everybody's got some tie to that. 
And he began to remind them again that they were God's people that God had set aside. Uh, Amos chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from out of the land of Egypt, saying, God says, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for your iniquities. He said, You only have I known. Amos was reminding them, and Paul was reminding the church at Ephesus, that it's true when the Jews come and tell you we're God's people, they were. God had made a special covenant promise, and he had a purpose to reveal himself to them and to reveal his word so that they could share it with the Gentile world. And that in the fullness of time, Christ would come. But they had refused as a whole to receive that. And so Paul affirms these things, the differences between Jew and Gentile. Nationally, God had a special relationship with Israel that the Gentile world, verse number 14 of Ephesians 2, they were separated from. They were separated from because of birth. And it was an illustration of the spiritual separation that exists between all men and God before salvation. Listen to me. The greatest false doctrine you're going to combat is you live on mission, and I do it every week. Living here in the South, it's the false doctrine of the good Baptist. Be good, be a good person, join a church, believe in God, and you're all right. Friend, hell's going to be full of people who were good people, treated their neighbor right, never hurt anybody, never stole from anybody, went to church, even had a Bible in their house, believed Jesus is the Son of God. But here's the difference. There was never a moment in their life where they repented and they trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. They never trusted Christ. And so Paul was trying to remind them of the past predicament. They were born sinners without Christ. And yes, God saw a difference between Jew and Gentile nationally. But spiritually, all people are born lost and without Jesus Christ. And number two... He tried to remind them of the peace that was procured. The peace that was procured. Why were they separated from God? Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your sin has separated you from God. Because of sin. By one man sin entered the world and death by sin. Romans 5. That's why. And so he reminds them now of the peace that was procured through Christ and Christ alone. Not through a work of the flesh. Not through a trip to the doctor's office. Not by being born as a Jew. The peace that was procured through Christ and him alone. Look at verse number 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now remember, he's speaking to people who've already been saved. He's speaking to people who the gospel's already been shared with. And they've already responded. They've already turned from their sin. And they've already trusted in Christ. Not those who were born into the church or whose daddy was a deacon, but those who, who made a decision to turn and trust Christ. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is, no longer you separate from God. You have fellowship with God now. And it's through the blood of Jesus. Not that you will be if you become a Jew and do these things, he says, you've already been brought near. And it's not through a work of the flesh, it's through the work of Christ upon the cross. 
It's what he's done. It's by his precious blood that he has saved us. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, as Jesus was in anguish upon the cross, the Father has turned his back on him. Physically, he said, but the one who created water hung on the cross and said, I thirst. And then he knew that it was time. He said, it's finished. Not it will be finished, or you'll complete. This is part A that you'll, you can complete. Jesus said, listen, friend, when he gave up the ghost, he says, it's finished. That means past, present, future, all sins you've ever committed, ever will commit. He paid for them all in his body. He did it. He made peace for us. He's the one that procured that. He did it for us. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 51. The Bible says when Jesus died, when he cried, verse 50 says, out with a loud voice and said it's finished, he yielded up his spirit. Listen, symbolically what happened. And then behold, the veil in the temple, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The Bible says, friend, it wasn't ripped from the bottom to the top that the priest came in and says, well, bring some shears, boys, and cut her. We've made a way that we can have fellowship. No, friend, from heaven down, God made a way that access could be had to him now. Now, there was peace for the Jew and the Gentile. But Jesus did it. Not man. He brought that peace about in his body and through his Precious blood. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 says this about all the sacrifices that the Hebrew priests had done for years. The animals that had been sacrificed every day at the tabernacle. The Bible says in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things. These were just shadows. Every time an animal died upon the altar, it was a shadow. It was a picture. It was a type of what Jesus Christ would ultimately do to bring peace. The author says these sacrifices can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins Every year. Listen, it is not possible that with the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. Animal blood can never pay for human sins. Never. So all of these Jews, even though they had the opportunity to know God in a way that the Gentiles couldn't because of the covenant relationship, they were still just as lost, they were still just as sinful, and they still had the same need to have a Savior. But that's why the Bible goes on to say in verse number 11, and every priest ministered daily, often repeatedly, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Praise the Lord. Jesus made peace. Not that a man made peace by being born into a family or going to the doctor and having a procedure done or by keeping a set of dietary rules. It's Jesus Christ that made the way that the past predicament that they had of their sin could be done away with. And now a man can boldly come into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, He himself is our peace. He's our peace. Now, there's not enmity 
with God anymore. Now there's no separation of Jew and Gentile spiritually. Look what the Bible says. For he himself is our peace who has made both one. He's made Jew and Gentile one now spiritually. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15. Jesus himself on the cross having abolished in his flesh. Whose flesh? His flesh. The Judaizers are saying, no, you've got to help abolish it, men, in your flesh and for your family. And Paul reminds them, not so. Jesus Christ has made peace. He has abolished the enmity that existed with his flesh. That is, the law of commandments contained in oranges, look at your Bibles, so as to create in himself, not two men, Jew and Gentile, but one new man, thus making peace. And he did this, friend, in himself. Verse 9 says that salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, it's not of works. It's, it's a gift. And so Jesus did that, that he might create one new man from the two, making peace. Now listen, Judaism was a threat to the gospel because it confused undiscipled believers. They weren't fully, they had received truth, but they were still a little shaky with truth. They were like, if you ever watched a Holstein calf try to stand up out in the field, they're trying to get their legs under them, and they stand a little bit, then they'll fall down and those legs. Will well, that's the way baby Christians are. They've received what truth they've been given, and now they possess the Holy Spirit, but that's the importance now of discipleship. To grant, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So they're not going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but they're going to be grounded in truth. And so Paul was trying to ground them in truth that when a Judaizer began, began to come and whisper that truth into them, they'd say, look, pew, I know you believe that way, but I believe the Word of God. I believe the Word of God. And you can't make more alive what's already alive. And so I'm not going to receive that doctrine. There, there's no spiritual need to become a Jew. Why? Verse 16. And that he might reconcile them both in one body through the cross, thereby putting away the enmity. We, we've been reconciled. Not only together as one people, but also with God. Both to God in one body, the church. The church. Not two bodies, not three bodies, but one body and Christ the head. And it was all accomplished through the cross, not the scalpel. It's through the cross. And so Paul says, I'm trying to equip you with truth to remind you of the past predicament, who you were, but how the peace was procured. Not, not the work of the flesh, but what Jesus has done for you and the truth that you've already received and responded to. So being a Jew, it, it, it made the truth more accessible because it came to them first. But every Jew must be born again. John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He was a very seasoned and schooled Jew. Nicodemus has probably, had probably forgotten more of the Old Testament than most of you and I will ever learn. And he came to Jesus seeking. The Holy Spirit was shining light into his life. And he knew there was something different about Jesus. And Jesus began to speak to him and talk to him about being born again. Well, now listen. Nicodemus 
was intellectually, he was a hammer. But spiritually, he was dumb as one. Jesus began to talk to him about being born again. He says, well, look, I'm six even, six one. My mother's five ten. How can I get back in her womb and be born again? Jesus says, no, you know, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You need to be born again. And that's what he said in John chapter 3, verse 7. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Listen, he's saying to a Jew of Jews, you must be born again. Now, where I grew up, I'm going to share what the word must means with you. Are you ready? The word must means must. Not if you want to or if it's convenient or it might help you. No, he says, you mu-, Jesus says, you must be born again. He says to a Jew of Jews, your pedigree, your religious pedigree doesn't help you. Well, friend, I want to tell you, likewise, being born into a Christian home, it doesn't help you. It makes the gospel more accessible, but it doesn't make you right with God. You see that? Nicodemus thought, you know, hey, look, I'm a Jew. I'm part of the nation of God. I'm okay. Jesus said, you must be born again. And people end up in churches, which is a good place to be. And they think being on the roll or coming, just attending, makes them right. No, friend, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's a personal choice that you have to Not to join the church. I'm not trying to convince anybody this morning to join the church. I'm not trying to convince the first person this morning to be baptized. I'm not trying to convince the first person to get involved in any ministry in the church or to start giving money to the church. What I'm pleading with you this morning is this. If you've never trusted Christ, you need to be born again. Why? Because if you die without Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in a literal place called hell where the fire is not quenched and the Bible says the worm dieth not. It won't be a figment of your imagination. It's not something that's been made up. It is a place that was created for Satan, his demons, and all people who will not trust Christ. But you don't have to go. There's good news because Christ has procured our peace in his body. Hallelujah. He's made a way that we can be saved. So all must come by the way of the cross. All must come. But I want to pause for just a moment. And I want to remind you, friend, that God has an everlasting purpose, though, for the nation of Israel. I don't want to get off message, but I want because this really fits and can help you with some current events that are taking place. There are some churches today that erroneously teach replacement theology. All right? Now, what is replacement theology? They believe that the church has replaced Israel as the people of God. I want you to know something. That is absolutely false. All must be saved. All must go by the way of the cross. But God has made everlasting covenant promises with the nation of Israel that will always exist and many that have yet to be fulfilled and will be in end times. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 8. God said this to Abraham. He says, I will give to your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Do you know what the word everlasting means? Everlasting. So there's a lot of liberal politicians right now that are saying, well now, 
All this land you know, that the Palestinians are living on in Israel, it belongs to them. Well, friend, I want to tell you, according to the Word of God, it belongs to the Jews. Tile indeed. They say, well, no, that's, that's their land. No, friend, the Bible says it is an everlasting possession. Israel didn't give it to themselves. God gave it to them. And it's theirs. And so there's an everlasting covenant. Genesis chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. Uh, to Isaac, God said, Dwell in the land which I will give you, and I will be with you. I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform an oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give to your descendants all these lands, and in you your seed and nations and all the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 28, and in verse number 10, the Bible says that Jacob, as he began to journey and to move toward Uncle Laban's, there he paused at Bethel and had a dream that night. And the Bible, he saw a ladder come down. And the Bible says in verse number 13 that God stood at the top, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south, and in you and all your seed and all families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 105, verses 6 through 11. If that didn't do it for you. Psalm 105, verses 6 through 11. The psalmist through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this. O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Chosen for what? To be a, a, a kingdom of priests that would share God and share his world, his word with the lost and dying world. He says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations, a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statue to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, I will give to you the land of Canaan as an allotment for your inheritance. Does that sound like replacement to you? No, sir, no, ma'am. All must go by the way of the cross. All people are born lost, Jew and Gentile, but make no mistake, friend, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and it still exists today. And I'm telling you, from the north to the south to the east to the west, everything that God considers the Holy Land, it all belongs to Israel, and every Palestinian that is there is squatting on land that belongs to God's people. And I want to remind you, too, because we better pray. I saw a survey that said there are more congressmen and congresswomen in Congress now that side with Palestinians than they do with Israel. God says, I'll bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And my friend, there's never been a nation in history that has stood against God's people that has lasted. We better pray. We better make use of the opportunity and the time that we have now. All must come by the way of the cross, but God has an everlasting covenant with Israel and all the land is still theirs. So we've seen the, the problem that we had. We've seen the peace that was procured. But third, and I close this morning, I want you to notice the preached plan. The preached plan. How, how is it that they heard about this? Well, Paul came 
on mission and he shared with them truth on how they could be saved. But look at the example that Paul went from. Look at verse 17. Paul says in Ephesians 2, And he, capital H-E, Jesus, he came and preached to you who were far off and to those who were near. That's what Jesus did. He, he came to preach the gospel. There's, there's, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but there's, there's such a false picture that a lot of contemporary churches are painting about Christ in his earthly ministry, that he just walked around with sugar falling out of his mouth and didn't condemn any kind of sin or have any standard of holiness whatsoever and just love, 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 love. And friend, he did love, and he demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, he died in our place so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. But as he moved about, he preached a message of repentance. Matthew chapter 4, and verse number 17 says, as Jesus begins his Galilean ministry, listen, and from that time, Jesus began to preach. That word preach means to herald forth. To herald forth. He began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, he borrowed John the Baptist's sermon. Where do you think John got it? He got it from God. That's the very message that John the Baptist had preached before Jesus began his ministry. Repent, change directions for the kingdom of God's hand. The rule of God is here before you. And that's the message that Jesus went about preaching. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in cities. He went about preaching the good news. Listen. God didn't send me here to be your mayor. Remember Palm Sunday as they heralded him? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were just all giddy and excited. Hallelujah. They weren't excited that Christ had come to be Lord of their life. They thought Jesus was going to be their mayor, their potentate, and move Rome out of the way. They would be lords over their lives. But Jesus went about preaching, telling them, no, you've got to receive me. That's why I've come, that I might be Lord of your life, not just ruler of your city. He went about preaching that message. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 38. Mark begins to record part of the ministry of Christ. But he said to them, let us go into the next town so that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I've come forth. That's in red. Jesus said, I'm going about to other cities who haven't heard the good news. I've shared it with this one. They received it or they rejected it. Now I'm moving to the next city, and I'm going to share the good news of why God sent me. Well, what, what did his sermons sound like? What, were the, what was the good news that he, that he preached and he tried, he tried to tell them from city to city? Well, I just took two pages of Scripture. I took John chapter 11. I've got John chapter 11 beginning in verse number 24 at the top of one page. And on the bottom right is John chapter 12, verse 37. There's three different messages that Jesus preached here. Just on these two pages, these random pages. Lazarus has died. Jesus goes. He's going to call him back from the grave. And Jesus began to say this. He said in verse number 25, John chapter 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he'll live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He preached truth. He was the resurrection. He was the life. You needed to receive him. And then he gave an invitation. Now, do you believe this? That's what he did. He said, do, do you, have you received 
this truth. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. Another place, another opportunity. A question was asked of him. He said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And then Jesus answered and said this, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, he gives an illustration, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father also will honor. He began to preach to them about what the life of a servant and the life of surrender really looked like. Verse 35 of chapter 12. Again, Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The darkness of hell, darkness of unbelief. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become the sons of God. He was calling people to turn from sin and from self and to trust him to be Lord of their life. John says in John chapter 21, verse 25, there aren't enough, the, the world couldn't contain the books of all the works and all the messages, all the things that Jesus did during those three and a half years. So we need to be able to contain all that he preached. And then Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, listen. Jesus modeled it, but then he said to us, he says to us, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. I've come and preached you go and preach. Paul says, listen, the reason you as a church had the opportunity to respond to the gospel and see Jesus Christ is because Christ came and preached. And Paul says, when I came, he was preaching through me. Paul says, when I came to you, I was fulfilling Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Friends, I stand here this morning. I want you to understand what I share with you. It's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. I didn't roll around on the floor all week and say, you know, I've got to come up with something clever that will take up 45 minutes. I've got to come up with something. No, friend, I'm just trying to share with you what God has already said in His Word. And so it's His Word. He's saying it, not me. But I'm going to proclaim it. And God has called us in the home, in our neighborhood, at work, wherever we go, Matthew 28, as you are going. Friend, listen. Christ came and preached to us, we're to preach to others. I want to ask, I shared this illustration a few weeks ago, but if you've been saved, somebody told you how to be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. You didn't know because spiritually you were dumb as a stump. You couldn't understand. But somebody either gave you a gospel track, you had a loving mom, a loving dad, a Sunday school teacher, a GA leader, a royal ambassador leader, and the water worker, somebody took the time to preach the gospel to you. To tell you how to be saved. So Paul reminded them, this is who you were. Christ has made peace. But you're living in a morally bankrupt city that is marred by cult prostitution. It's a, it's a city that's spinning out of control, that's headed to hell. Don't forget, Christ left the glories of heaven, came to this sin-cursed earth, and he told you how to be saved. He said, and that's the mission. There's not a person in here that's got a lick of sense that thinks America's going in the right direction. If you do, you are nuts. 
Our country is heading in the wrong direction. Our world is heading in the wrong direction. It's headed towards hell. And God has called us not to just sit and gripe and whine about the state of the world, but to tell people the good news that Jesus saves. There's peace that can be found through that precious fountain when one turns and trusts Christ to be Lord of their life. What a reminder. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Somebody shared with me, and so I'm sharing with you. I'm telling you this morning, those that are listening online, the wages of sin is death. So I'm thinking about getting saved. You better stop thinking and start acting, or you're going to have all eternity to think about what was. You may not have another opportunity to be saved. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. You know not what the day will bring. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If you've never been saved, friend, I invite you today to turn from the sin that's in your life and simply trust you. I'm not inviting you to join the church. I'm not inviting you to be baptized. I don't want a dime from you. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm simply inviting you to turn from sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. That's what Paul did in Ephesus. That's what somebody did for me. And that's what I want to do for you today. So four questions I want to ask you this morning. Number one, have you received Jesus Christ? Have you received him? Now don't, so often at invitations, I listen, invitations is my favorite part of the service, but my greatest pet peeve is when everybody just starts flapping Bibles and mentally checking out. Well, we're done. No, friend, we're just beginning. We're just beginning. Have you received Jesus Christ? If you haven't, friend, he loves you. He died for you. He made a way that you can experience peace with God for all of your sin debt, but it's a gift that you must receive by faith. You do it by repentance, choosing to turn from all the sin that's in your life. And in 2 Romans 10, 9, 10, by faith, you trust him to be Lord of your life. This is the second question. Would you receive him now? What's in your life that's worth going to hell over? I mean, what, 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 what is it that you want to hold on to for however many more years you've got to live that's worth spending an eternity in a place called hell without God? There's nothing. So today, friends, spit out your pride, turn from your sin, and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. And my friend, he'll come live in your heart. He'll give you a new nature. He'll give you spiritual life, and he'll give you life more abundantly than you could ever find any other way. I don't give you that opportunity to make that decision right now. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. No one's looking around. Your answer to that first question was, no, I've never received him. Your answer to the second question was, yes, I want to receive him. I will. Then tell him so right now. And my friend, it doesn't matter what you've done and where you've been. He will take you. He will heal you. He will give you life. He'll give you a new nature. He loves you. He died for you. He just wants to hear from you now. Just to tell him in a simple prayer of faith what your heart has already decided. To choose to turn from all the sin and by faith trust him right now to be Lord of your life. Just tell him so in a simple prayer like this. Now, you have to make it yours. Now, it has to reflect your heart. But he's waiting to hear from you. Pray just like this. 
God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died. And that through his death, in his body, with his blood, he made peace for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And he extends to me life today. And I want to receive it. I'm turning from sin, and I'm trusting Jesus to be Lord of my life. That's my decision right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to invite you in just a moment when we stand at our feet. If you prayed that prayer to make your way to where Brother Brian is, and he just wants to encourage you and pray with you about that decision. The church family, I want to ask you this morning. Now, somebody came and told you how to be saved. We've seen the example. Paul reminded the church at Ephesus that Christ came and preached. Christ sent Paul to preach to them. Somebody told you how. Are you preaching? Are you preaching every day? The gospel. With your life and with your lips, are you seeking to engage people with the life-changing message of the gospel? You say, well, I, I believe in lifestyle evangelism. Well, that's great. Jesus lived out the gospel, but he also spoke it. And somebody told you, are you telling people how to be saved? If you are, great. Praise the Lord. Train someone else. But if the answer is no, here's the second question. Will you preach? You've answered the first. No, I'm not. I'm not sharing the way I need to. I've got neighbors, family, friends, co-workers. I've never seized the opportunity to even begin to try to tell them how. Okay, you've answered that. But here's the question. Will you? Will you simply make yourself available to be used by God? And He'll speak through you, friend. It's you just share Scripture. The Bible says, Romans 3.23. The Bible says, Romans 6.23. The Bible says, John 3.16. The Bible says, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. The Bible says, Romans 10.9 and 10. You just invite people, let the Bible speak. And Christ will preach through you. Will you? Will you preach? The world's spinning out of control. The gospel's the only hope. Will you speak? Will you preach? Father, we pray for our church. We pray for each other. God, we're reminded today, as Paul reminded the church at Ephesus, just how lost we were, what our past predicament was. God, we're reminded, and we're so thankful, the peace that was procured through Jesus Christ, what he did for us. But, Father, we're challenged again today about the preached plan. Someone told us, oh, God, burden us to tell others. Burden us to tell others while they're still yet like. God, I pray. As the Middle East is on fire, God, we will see we are living in the last moments. And we know that all those covenant promises that are going to come to pass in the life of the nation of Israel, they take place after the rapture of the church. And so the day to serve, the day to share, is heading closely towards sunset. Burden us, and might we be faithful to move with action. Use us. Use our families, use this church to the glory of God to preach the saving message of Jesus Christ. Father, as you challenge us now, you know the need that is in every single heart, every life. You know it. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will put his finger upon that need and will boldly and selflessly surrender to your will right now. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If you need to make a decision, step out now and come. Emptied of his glory, God became a man to walk on earth in ridicule and shame. A ruler, yet a servant, a shepherd, yet a another verse in just a moment. Listen to me, friend. It's true. He's Lord. Nothing changes that. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess to the glory of God that He is Lord. The question is right now, is He Lord of you? If there's anything that's hindering that from being a reality, lay it down. Turn from sin. Turn from self. And surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Peggy's going to sing another verse. If you need to pray with somebody, you need to talk to somebody, you step out and come right now. Humbled and rejected, beaten and despised, upon the cross the Son of God was slain. Just like a lamb to slaughter, a sinless sacrifice, 